You are listening to the Dabble Co. Podcast. I'm your host, nurse practitioner, Claire O'Brien. In healthcare, we have so many questions about what's trending versus what's actually the truth. So on this show, we're going to get to the bottom of it. It's health, it's wellness, it's beauty, explained by the people who actually know what they're talking about. Welcome back to the Dowelco Podcast. I am your host, I'm nurse practitioner Claire O'Brien. I'm with my friend, Dr. Liz Cox, today. She is a women's health psychiatrist specializing in mood disorders. We did an episode a couple of weeks ago on PMDD and hormone-related mood issues. And today, we're going to focus a little bit more on postpartum and perinatal mental health. So just putting that out there, if that's tough for you to talk about or, or hear, or if that is um, difficult you know, for for you, we totally get it. And just want to say maybe skip this episode, but it's really important and so thrilled. And thank you to Dr. Cox for coming back again to talk about it. Thanks for having me. Okay. Let's start by simply explaining. I think many people have heard of postpartum depression, but what would you say is just perinatal mental health in a general sense? What is, I mean, perinatal, what does that even mean? Yeah. So the the nomenclature and like what we call these things kind of changes from time to time. Oftentimes we'll refer to these as PMADs, perinatal mood and anxiety disorders. So essentially any mental health condition that you could think of under the sun, ranging from an anxiety disorder, OCD, PTSD, trauma, depression, then bipolar disorder, psychotic disorders, you name it all in one umbrella. And so just a mental health condition during pregnancy or postpartum after you've delivered. For some of these conditions, somebody may have never experienced symptoms before in their life, which can be pretty scary to have this for the first Mm -hmm. time. And then others may have like just a flare up if they've had a history of some anxiety or depression or, or mood disorder symptoms in the past can have them again while they're pregnant or postpartum. Okay. And I feel like postpartum depression, I I don't understand why, but it's still sort of something that we really don't talk about. So why don't, I mean, why don't, why don't, why don't we talk about it right now? Let's just talk about like the prevalence of postpartum and Mm -hmm. how does that, how does that look like to a lot of people? Because my guess is that I think that a lot of women are having issues with postpartum depression and anxiety and just don't even know that. Yeah. So it is the most common complication of pregnancy by far. Postpartum Um, depression? Perinatal depression, Mm -hmm. like having symptoms while you're pregnant or postpartum. So the prevalence depends on the literature that you cite, but you'll see anywhere from like 10 to 20% prevalence. Some of the variability depends on the specific timing of onset. Like if we're looking at a specific trimester or specific number of months postpartum of when the symptoms began. But so it's anywhere in that kind of 10 to 20% typically. But to give you kind of a an anchor here, the prevalence of like gestational diabetes is about, I think, I haven't looked lately, but I think the CDC says about 10%. Mm-hmm. And so, or maybe even, yeah, right around there, like maybe a little less than that. But this this is more common than gestational diabetes. And 
we all have to drink that nasty glucola yep. drink when you're pregnant, right? So nasty. And ACOG, American College of Obstetrics and Gynecology, has put out recommendations now that we also are recommending screening for these conditions, for these mood conditions during pregnancy as well as postpartum because of how common this is. So, but it's it's the most common complication. Well, and you think about, and, and I, I totally understand why we make gestational diabetes a big deal because it can have significant impact on the yeah. baby. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah. We, we really, even if we do screen for postpartum depression, I feel like I hear from people all the time. They're like, yeah, I mean, my, my doctor or APP or whatever, like t- told them I was anxious and depressed and they just like threw me on some Zoloft and said, you know, it's normal. See you later. Like we, we put so much time and effort into gestational diabetes when this perinatal mental health issue is sounds like much more statistically significant and can be life threatening for for women. It yes, exactly. It can be devastating for the patient, for the whole family, for the baby. So these conditions absolutely deserve to be recognized and treated and we have good treatment options that work both therapeutic interventions as well as prescription medications when indicated. And one of the things that I specialize in doing is looking at that risk-benefit analysis. So what are the risks of untreated symptoms for the health of the baby and for mom's health Uh versus medication exposure if it's indicated? And that medication exposure, whether that's through the placenta, if someone's taking something while pregnant, or through the breast milk if somebody's taking something while breastfeeding. So I put up a question box uh, a couple weeks ago when I knew that that we were going to talk, and I tried to kind of separate out last episode versus this one. And and one of the questions was, and I'm, I know this is different for every person, so you can't just generalize the answer, but do I continue my medications during pregnancy? I think a lot of women stop their medicines when they're trying to get pregnant or when they're pregnant yeah. thinking that they're doing the right thing you know, potentially yeah. for their baby. And I, I understand that, but what are your thoughts? Yeah. I mean, how do you guide people in just as general ways you can? Yeah. So this is a, it's a tricky one and it's not a one size fits all. Yeah. Um, it depends on the person. And so when I think through this, so if you have had some situational symptoms, right? Kind of like what we talked about last week, right? Like if, if it's been some situational anxiety or depression, the stressor has resolved, we think of it more as what we call an adjustment disorder. So that's like a major life change or stressor caused some symptoms. That change kind of settles out. They've been on the medicine for long enough and they want to slowly try to come off and see how things will go. Then we might do that. If you are already pregnant and you try to stop the medicine once you're pregnant, for some people that might go okay, but there was um, some research studies looking at how well people did. And many of the patients ended up having to get back on the medication at some point. So in general, if you're thinking about wanting, if you're, if you're taking something and thinking about trying to get pregnant, I know half of pregnancies are not planned. So this is not always an option, but ideally you want to try to taper off before pregnancy and give yourself some time and space to see how you do. Mm -hmm. And then if you need to get back on it, you can get back on it and feel steady before the pregnancy. With your hormone changes of pregnancy, that can be kind of difficult and make it harder to stop once you're pregnant. But if you have had more episodes of depression 
or a mood, another type of mood disorder, like mania or hypomania, or you've had more episodes of like really intense anxiety or panic attacks, there's an argument for taking something to, for prophylaxis, meaning to like prevent the symptoms from coming back. And there would be an argument for just staying on it while pregnant to maintain your stability, just depending on the person. So those are the things we're thinking through of like, what, how many, what is, what have things looked like in the past for you? um, And what do we think your risk is of, of feeling sick again? Yeah. And so if, I guess we're kind of talking about people who have maybe had a history of anxiety and depression outside of the setting of pregnancy. And and one question that I got that I thought was super interesting, I have no clue. It's okay. If, if you've had specifically just postpartum depression before, like you're, first pregnancy and now this is your second or third or you're considering a second or third what is the likelihood that you're going to have it again yeah which is a great question and i've seen different statistics here i want to say it's in the 30 to 50% range so depending high, high probably you're so probably going to right but so and then there were some studies looking at okay so does it make sense to then no matter what after the person delivers again go ahead and just put them back on medication rather right. than waiting and seeing if they have symptoms and i think from some of the research studies maybe the results were somewhat mixed in my actual clinical practice i tend to just do that so long as someone hasn't had major side effects or problems what I would do is moving forward with the next pregnancy, let's say they're off of medicine. It was really isolated to the postpartum. Their baby is now, you know, 18 months old and they've like weaned off of their medication. They're feeling good. They get pregnant again and they really hadn't had symptoms other than that postpartum blip. I would monitor them closely. Ideally would recommend engaging with a therapist that can help prevent and reduce risk and maintain feeling overall well and if somebody develops symptoms while they're pregnant that next time, then certainly we would resume medication then. But if they're feeling okay in the pregnancy, we we might be able to not take it. Just kind of depends. So if they're not taking it that next pregnancy, the day they deliver baby out, I would start the medication again. Um, if you're starting to slowly develop some symptoms while you're pregnant, the medicine does take four to six weeks to reach steady state and things can snowball. So we probably would want to go ahead and restart while they're pregnant if that's happening. But if they're feeling really good and not having symptoms, then we would just resume postpartum. And I wouldn't wait postpartum to see if it happens again and then treat because it can take some time to work yeah. and get better. I would just say, well, we'll go ahead and started and worst case scenario, we're not sure if you need this or not, because you never develop symptoms. Great. Then you're feeling good. And like, we've maybe prevented something, if that makes sense. Yeah. And I think too, though, one thing that we don't really understand, I think as, as women specifically is what's normal. Like when you say, oh, if you're feeling good, I think there's so much of us that wants to say, oh, this is, this is normal. Like I'm supposed to be so overwhelmed that I like want to put my baby in the closet and maybe like not look at it or whatever that looks like for you, which is very real. Like, so what is, how do people know in their, in their family members, like partner spouses, all that, like what is normal versus I need help or you need help or we need to talk to somebody? Yeah. 
Yeah, I think that's a great question. I mean, not everything is like pathologic, you know? I mean, there's a whole spectrum in all areas of life of some degree of anxiety, some moodiness, like we're all human beings. It's when it reaches that problematic area. And so some examples postpartum would be, so this is a good mention of like the baby blues. So the baby blues, the prevalence there, I believe is like 85% or so, I think it's closer to a hundred percent. And that's the first two weeks feeling a little weepy, your emotions are heightened. You might feel like a little euphoric, so in love, so overjoyed, but then also a second later, like really overwhelmed and weepy and tearful and feeling on edge, a little anxious. If you feel like you cannot stop crying, that would be a problem. If you feel like you feel so low that you're not able to enjoy your baby or enjoy really much at all, that feels like a problem. If you feel like you're so anxious that no one else can help at all, you don't want anybody else to hold the baby, that's like verging on a little bit problematic. Mm -hmm. If you're so anxious that it's the middle of the night, baby is sound asleep, baby is fine, and you should, you know, in quotes, be able to sleep Mm -hmm. um, and get some more rest, and you're wide awake feeling like on edge, something's going to go wrong, that's definitely a problem sign to reach out. Yeah. And I think it gets normalized. Like also, I, I think we just see, we're like, oh, this I'm supposed to feel this way. I'm supposed to be super yeah. emotional, you know, and yeah, sort a of, little but, emotional. Yes. But like, yeah, excessively. No. And also if it lasts longer than two weeks, that's not the baby blues. That's something okay. different. That's either postpartum anxiety or postpartum depression. I want to tell you guys about my favorite supplement company, Thorn. Our family personally uses several of their products. So I use their collagen in the morning, and then I use a few things that were recommended by my headache doctors. The reason we use Thorn is they are so high quality, highly tested. They don't have fillers like so many other supplement companies do. They have partnerships with hospitals and organizations all over the country, like Mayo Clinic, Medical University of South Carolina, the UFC, huge athletic organizations. So if you are looking for high quality supplements, I always recommend Thorn. You can get 15% off any Thorn products by going to Thorn, that's Thorn with an E, thorn.com slash U slash Dabbleco. Create an account and you'll get 15% off and free shipping every time. I'll put that link in the show notes. Okay. And then what is postpartum psychosis? Because last year we heard an awful lot about Lindsay Clancy and that case. And it's so sad. I still don't know. I sort of was reading about it the other day, which I have a story about that. But anyway, yeah. I mean, postpartum psychosis I think is really rare, but it's very real. It is really rare. I mean, it's like a 0.1% prevalence, but it is a hundred times higher prevalence if you have a history of bipolar disorder. It's very real. There's different ways that it can look. The like kind of classic postpartum psychosis presents really quickly after delivery, usually like within hours or a day or two. Uh-huh. And it looks almost like an encephalitis, like a delirium, like inflammation of the brain, like someone is just not in reality. Yeah. And its onset is like fast. So we're usually seeing those in the hospital on the consult service to OB, you know, in in that scenario. And then there can also be 
a gradual buildup of somebody that starts to get a really severe depressive disorder postpartum. So it starts as depression, starts as feeling really withdrawn and sad and builds to have psychotic features. So that's a, usually presents a little later or somebody mm-hmm. can become manic postpartum and have psychotic features accompanied with that. But the onset is a little different and probably the etiology and everything behind it might be slightly different depending on those variations. Gosh. So, and, and so scary for the women that this happens to, I mean, yeah, and their families and everything. I mean, just so tragic and scary, even if it is terrifying, it is terrifying, but it, but it is also very treatable. Treatable. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And these women get better. You know, there's a risk if that happens to somebody, I see a strong familial genetic component too. Like we've seen that generationally, like somebody's mom had it and then they had it. And for some of these women, they may just have that happen and go on to like not have a chronic mood disorder. That doesn't always mean that that happens. For some of them, they may develop a chronic mood disorder later. If you've had like what, what would that be? So people know, like, sorry, like bipolar disorder okay. yeah. or, or major depressive disorder. Okay. Like sometimes this happens and then like you end up trying to come off of the meds a year or two later mm-hmm. and you ha- get manic again, or you get really depressed again and you end up needing to take some medicine longer term to prevent those episodes. Um, yeah. But other times somebody may come off of medicine entirely. And that just was like this thing that happened. And later, when you go through menopause, or if you have another pregnancy, there's a risk of this happening again with the sensitivity to the changes in hormones. So if you've had postpartum psychosis, we absolutely recommend with a future pregnancy preventative treatment as soon as you deliver. The protocol is usually lithium um, for a period of a couple of months at least there. And there's just different treatment algorithms of, of yeah. what to do to prevent that from happening. But I've also taken care of patients before that they had that happen and then they felt fine and did well for many, many years. And then when they went through the perimenopausal change, had psychotic symptoms happen again. And I think it's just, I don't want to freak anyone out. I know that that's scary, but it's also empowering to know that. And then yeah. The family can be on the lookout and you can get in to get treatment really quickly. And it's, it's, again, it's treatable. It's treatable. Um, yeah, as long and, as we're talking about it. Like, I think that's what's so frustrating for so many women is, is feeling not heard because we're mostly seen. And I, I hate to, I, OB, like, please don't feel like I'm like knocking OBs anybody because there's some that are just truly phenomenal, but I think you're really yeah busy and you have that six-week appointment. It's like, how are you doing? And if you're not just an absolute train wreck, it's like, okay, you can have sex now. See you later. Like, it's yeah, pretty quick. I mean, I was yeah, pretty overwhelmingly anxious and thankfully have a friend who's a, a therapist. And like, it's so, you're so dumb after you have your first baby. Like, you're so dumb. Your, your brain, <laughs> like, I just remember being like, did someone put me in a trash can and like kick me down the stairs? Like that is how I felt physically and mentally. Yeah. The brain fog is real. And there are actually fMRI studies showing white matter changes in our brains. <sighs> I knew it, we are, it, so it's, it, we are it actually dumber. Back, but like, 
Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, I had a medical student once ask me while I was pregnant, I was like, oh, forgive my baby brain. And they said, it's not real. And I was like, you uh, bet your ass it is real. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, you're literally, you can't form like correct thoughts. So I couldn't, it's just so fascinating because when I was talking to her about like when I, and again, was, I just was kind of normalizing it as like, I don't, this is how I'm supposed to be. But she's like, it sounds like every time you have to feed your baby, you're having a little bit of a panic attack. And I was like, in fact, yes, in fact, I am having a panic attack, panic attack yeah. six times a day. You're all right. You know, like I do, I can't remember what I was, if I was taking the, I don't know. Y'all know I'm like, if I could like to know it, a Prozac, I would. <laughs> Or is it lost or whatever it takes? Like, right. I think so. It's been so helpful for me, but gosh, but anxiety. Well, and and I also feel like we don't talk about postpartum anxiety as much as depression. Yeah. Really, because I, I could be totally wrong here. Let me know what your thoughts are. But like, I think the risks of postpartum depression are truly life threatening. I mean, postpartum peri- perinatal suicide is. Yeah. Very, very real. I don't know the statistics. And anxiety is not as life-threatening. Does that, is that kind of? Well, yeah. I mean, I think maybe the suicidal thoughts that can accompany depression. I think also like when you're going through anxiety, you can still at times, it depends on what the anxiety is looking like, but perhaps like for function. some individuals, they're functioning better. Yeah. And being perfectionist and high achieving and type A, right? And not wanting yeah. to slow down and accept or ask for help. And some of that I think is more like stigma and mm-hmm. society. And there's so much where we feel guilty or like we're not supposed to ask for help. We're supposed to juggle it all, do it all. So I think I think it can be a, a whole host of things. So in that kind of same vein with suicidal thoughts versus intrusive thoughts. I mean, intrusive thoughts yeah. definitely had those definitely thought over and over like, okay, here's this story. I'm just going to tell the story on my old TikTok yeah. account, which we were just talking about when the Lindsay, Lindsay Clancy case came out. And I actually, I made a TikTok about having intrusive thoughts when I had my first baby of like, gosh, I just like wonder what would happen if I like put a little knife like right in her font. No, like I will forever remember thinking that over and over. And I like made this TikTok. Anyway, it went viral, which I like didn't intend. And that kind of sucked because then I got eight bajillion comments about like you're in baby murderer and like you're insane. I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. But then the other, it was either the comments were either one or the other. They were either like, oh my God, I'm bawling. Me too. I didn't know this was a thing. Like I thought I was a horrible person or like these are intrusive thoughts. They're totally normal or like you're the worst. And then Newsweek did an article about it and it was kind of a mess. But I didn't realize this. I'll have to to send it to you. Yeah. It's, I, yeah, it was really frustrating. (laughs) It was really frustrating because they took it like completely out of context. And anyway, I'll send it to you. You're going to be like, oh Oh, no. But Talk about intrusive thoughts that are normal, right? Versus, okay, I need to get help on this is a potentially a thought that I could take action on and is a, is a problem. Well, so I think intrusive, everybody has like a weird thought from time to time, right? Our brains are these unique organs. It's an unusual thing. Like we can just like have a weird thought, but with intrusive thoughts that are not problematic, someone will have that thought and like be like, oh, that was a really weird thought and it won't come back right? Like they might have right. that thought with a knife or whatever. And it's like, that was so weird. That was, yeah. And then mm. shake it off. But when they're 
ego dystonic means they're against what you want to do. Intrusive thoughts that get sticky. And this is like an OCD treat. Some people get full-blown obsessive compulsive disorder postpartum. And others will just have some anxiety symptoms with just features of that. They may not meet full criteria for OCD per se, but Mm -hmm. it's kind of an OCD thing where these intrusive thoughts become really sticky. They're on a loop, can't shake it out of your brain. And the thoughts are usually lewd or violent and like super disturbing. You're very embarrassed. You don't want to say it out loud to someone else. You think someone's going to take your baby away. You feel shame. You feel guilt. There is no link to intrusive thoughts and actual homicidal or violent behavior. Mm. The intrusive thoughts, when when they are truly these ego dystonic intrusive thoughts, it's an OCD thing. And I tell people, you're not going to act on this. Like it's it's the OCD talking. And so different medications can help with that as well as different therapeutic techniques, specifically cognitive behavioral therapy. We do exposure response prevention. So you have it makes the intrusive thoughts more powerful to avoid them. So like, let's say you're having those thoughts about the knives and then you avoid cutting things in the kitchen and you're not using knives anymore. And it makes it like bigger and bigger and bigger. And it's worse and worse and worse because you are avoiding and giving it more power, but making yourself uncomfortable and picking up the the knife and knowing you're not going to act on it helps somebody kind of move forward. And so those are the types of therapy practices that can be really helpful. Then there's postpartum psychosis. And so that is different. When you're having psychotic symptoms, you are not in reality. And you might have delusional beliefs about like that there's maybe your baby's possessed or that lots of times the the story is like, I'm saving my baby from the evil of the world, or I'm saving other people because the baby might have some sort of possession Think those types of things, or they're yeah. actively hallucinating. And so the intrusive thoughts are not psychosis. But then what about how, how do you know it's an intrusive thought versus like a suicidal thought? Just but what's the subject matter? Well, no. So then there can also be, so you can have, again, the, these ego dystonic intrusive thoughts for harming other people or harming yourself. The okay. difference is like, that you in your core are like disgusted and don't want to do it, you know, like, or you're having these disturbing thoughts, you're picturing driving your car off the road or harming yourself and picturing it. And you're so upset by it. And you're like, I want to live. I don't want to act on these things. I don't know why I keep thinking of this kind of thing. Right. I mean, but that seems like that might be hard to tell. Like this is, can that, I'm sure that's really stressful and hard to tell. For some people, it, yeah, it is. It, it 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 is, and so it, it requires like lengthy discussions and lots of questions, and it's it's stressful. And it's also just like going back to my postpartum appointment too. Like I'm sure they were like, "How are you feeling?" And I I know I was having those thoughts every now and then at that time, and I don't I wouldn't have been like, "Oh yeah, you know," like I thought about putting a butter knife yeah. in her fontanelle the other day like you would just wouldn't like I wouldn't have said yeah. that because I like you said I would have yeah. felt like they are gonna lock me up and put take my baby away for sure yeah which I'm sure gets really tricky on that end too because you want to protect the baby and the mom but gosh it's just it can be so complicated yeah 
but it just requires a lot of discussion to kind of understand what it is that's going on. Yeah. And okay. So is Deemer related to that? Is that in that same family? So this is like its own kind of thing that happens to some women and that's dysphoric milk ejection reflex, right? And so that's when your milk let down Mm -hmm. makes you feel this wave of sadness. And so going back to kind of the part one, when we were talking about PMDD um, Mm -hmm. and the changes around your menstrual cycle. So if you have that type of brain, that's more sensitive to changes in hormones. I, that's my understanding of why that kind of phenomenon could happen. It's like your milk Mm -hmm. let down and the hormone shifting there can cause that kind of wave of sadness. And if that's happening to somebody, lots of times that can be linked to a little bit of postpartum depression or postpartum anxiety too. I have also heard others where they're, they're like, yeah, that just happened to me each time and I would just breathe through it and it would get better. And it's not like they felt super anxious or super sad all day. So it, I, I don't know that it always means that you're struggling with something bigger, but it could. Interesting. I had never even heard of that until someone asked. I was like, what is a deemer? But then I'm like, did I have that? I don't know. <laughs> I just feel like it's also chaotic. Well, and, and, and feeding can be really hard, you know? Oh, my gosh. And the lactation consultants? Okay, let me ask you this. How do you feel yeah. about baby-friendly hospitals? Oh, gosh. How long do we have? So I know. Um, I knew you would say that. <laughs> That's why I asked. I oh god. I hope my friend so, Caroline is listening because we are both going to start a rage campaign against baby friendly hospitals. Yeah, it's not always mom friendly, is it? It's very checky boxy, and they're trying to make sure that they're following appropriate protocols, but they're as I, as you know, there are different studies showing increased risk for harm and accidents happening in the hospital setting. Also, let's say someone delivers and, you know, the hospital is a time where you can ideally, in my vision, get some rest and some support from professionals and you have your nursing care there to help you. I mean, give, having birth, giving birth is no joke whether it's vaginal delivery, C-section, right. letting mom kind of recover. And then if you are learning what to do, it's your first, even if it's not your first, supporting and helping take care of the baby a little bit, letting mom and other parent get protected sleep mm-hmm. while in the hospital. You know, many people can't afford night nurses totally. or do postpartum doulas and all of this. So that's the opportunity to like build up your tank and go home functioning well. If you are, I mean, I understand that rooming in and having skin to skin and trying to promote bonding and trying to promote breastfeeding can be beneficial, but not if you're like shoving it down someone's throat and not if you're not letting them get their bearings for that first day or two after a long delivery. And so ideally I would, would hope that our patients could go home a little bit rested or starting off on the right foot. Well, and I asked that because I was thinking of lactation consultants who um, can be so awesome, but also I feel like there can be a bit of 
dismissiveness around the importance of the symptoms that mom is having after giving birth when you're, you know, I mean, breastfeeding is hands down the most difficult thing I have ever personally done in my life and just, oh, it shouldn't hurt. And I know it can be just like there's a lot of like shenanigans that are like, no, that's not real life. I mean, the women that I've talked to are like, no, it hurts. It feels like someone's taking your breath away. Like it hurts. Yeah. The anxiety yeah. and I mean, I, all, that. all of the things. Yeah. I mean, I definitely, with my first, I rented the hospital grade pump. I was on all these supplements and I remember the lactation consultant told me I needed to syringe feed too. And then also pump, I think every hour or so, I don't know. What? And I, I came home from the appointment crying and was like, I, I don't know how I'm going to be able to do all of this. And my husband was just like, you're not doing that. <laughs> like, yeah, we're not, we're not doing that bananas. You're not doing that. So, I mean, I, I think I really appreciate and value good lactation consultants when they can help support and, you know, breastfeeding can be wonderful when it works well for someone, but I also think there's no trophy and it's nope. formula feeding can also be really great. Fed is best. And just knowing when something's not working or being able to be flexible and be kind to yourself, easier said than done. Um, I mean, I remember I told my, I like, it's, it's so hard when it's yourself. My husband, I made him say to me every day, you're a good mom. It's okay to stop. I'm like, I need you to say these exact words. Um, (laughs) and and it took several days and I was like all weepy, you know, cause it's my first, I like felt like I failed. Um, but I also knew my supply was low. It wasn't working well for me. And with each baby I had, I was able to give myself a little bit more grace. And by my third, I breastfed for one day because it was fun and bonding. And then it was like, <laughs> I know yeah. I'm not going to make much milk. I'm yeah. out. And that's fine. And that's my story. But I support whatever yeah. works well for somebody. But I just, there's so much stress there. And there's so much competition within ourselves and with each other. And it's a lot. It's a lot. And, and I, you know, who doesn't care is either of my children. Um, they do not. They do not care. Like you said, there's no trophy, there's no medal. And I, they certainly don't care. And still have two kids with 8 billion, you know, there's no tonsils or adenoids in this house anymore. And, <laughs> and it, like, like all that, all that breastfeeding we did out the window. No, I mean, it's just, you know, yeah. stuff. There's certainly benefit, which we love, but fed is best is, is absolutely, I totally agree. But anyway, that's another yeah. s- story for another day. Um, okay. Well, where can people find you? My website is uh doctor or no, not my, what am I saying? I'm about to give you my email address. My website you is can do that reset too, like your health and wellness.com all spelled out. Y O U R A N D all of it spelled one word. And then Claire, wouldn't you know, I still have to look up my Instagram. <laughs> but you did, you posted something last week I, and I was like, I did. good for you. It took me a while. But you <laughs> and did here it. I am trying to find again. Okay. I, it is reset underscore health and wellness is the Instagram and you're in, handle. You're in Raleigh, North Carolina, but I'm, yeah, on I'm an in act- Raleigh, North Carolina. Um, I'm on an so, active um, campaign for her to license herself in more states so that she oh. can help take care of more women in case y'all are like, I really want yeah. to see her in South Carolina. I'm just, I've already yeah. put that out well, there into the universe. We're working on it. We'll, we'll work on it. But for now, if you live in North Carolina, anywhere across the state, I can see you. 
Awesome. All right, guys. Well, thanks so much, um, Dr. Cox, for coming again. And as always, if you liked this episode, please share it. Share it with someone who you know it would help, a new mom, maybe their spouse or partner, and subscribe and leave us a little rating. And we'll see you next week. 